Hi, this is Beverly Washburn, and you're listening to the Walter Paisley Movie Cast. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Nildoff Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rory. We are brought to you in part by our partner sponsor, Scarlet Lane Brewing. With five locations in the Indianapolis area, there are plenty of opportunities to try the official beer of horror. Today's guest is an actor who has appeared in over 100 movies and television shows since the late 1980s. He's a self-described blue-collar actor who has been in the trenches of Hollywood for over three decades. From low-budget action movies to sitcoms to some of the most lauded and popular films of all time, he has always raised the bar for those acting around him. In his career, he has worked with some of the most revered names in mainstream and cult movies. Names like Fiona Dorif, Cameron Mitchell, Hope Howell, James Hong, Lance Reddick, Lynn Marie Stewart, Ross Hagen, Pat Morita, Larry Drake, Lorenzo Lamas, Arabella Holzbach, David Hasselhoff, Deborah Lamb, John Lithgow, Lance Henriksen, Danny Trejo, I'm lost my place, guys, sorry, Wes Studi, Rusty <laughs> Schwimmer, Paolo Toka, Sandy Martin, Randy Quaid, Michael Rooker, Bob Miner, William Forsythe, Bill McKinney. If you don't know who Bill McKinney is, come on, people. Yeah. Walton Goggins. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Wings Hauser, Tom Berenger, Kurtwood Smith, Linda Blair, John Vernon, Walton Goggins, Danny Glover, George Bluff, Buck Flower. You're, I think, my fifth guest who's worked with Buck. Uh, William Fitcher, Ted Levine. Jean-Claude Van Damme, and of course, the inimitable High Pike. He's, always, he's also worked with hip-hop legends, Tupac Shakur, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and Fab Five Freddy, as well as revered directors like Michael Cimino, John G. Albertson, and Tim Burton. Among his extensive list of film and television credits are the types of classics we love to talk about on this show. Action USA, WB Blue and the Bean, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, Caged Fury, Click the Calendar Girl Killer, Blood Games, Walker, Texas Ranger, Renegade, Stone Cold, Switchback, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Hack-A-Lantern, and a TV show that I can never pass up the opportunity to discuss, Hunter. He is best known today for roles as Detective Moore on the hit Amazon Prime show Bosch, and of course as Luther McDonald, the oft-incarcerated and hilariously frightening father of Mac on the long-running It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Please welcome a man who was once repeatedly kissed by Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is a blessing we should all aspire to, Gregory Scott Cummins. Hello, hello. Boy, what, you, a, what an introduction. You missed uh, Sly, uh, Sylvester Stallone, too. Oh, uh, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to mention the important people. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, no, he was <laughs> I had to get the high... I had, had a lot of high <laughs> had a lot of fun working with him that you that you yeah. know just uh i'm just gonna uh, uh clip out that little introduction there and just play it over and over <laughs> and over uh, when i wake up in the morning and when i go to bed and all that stuff that that was quite an introduction that i, I that wow I, you're one of my favorite types of people to talk to. You've been in so much, and your career is so diverse as far as the movies you've done, the film, the TV you've done. Uh, it's it's all over the board. So yeah. you've, you've worked with such a wide variety, like you say, Sly Stallone, Lithgow, and then High Pike, who is um, yeah. as far as First a cult movie. as far as a cult movie podcast goes, he's he's high echelon actor. So 
Yeah, Hack a Lantern. I mean, the first movie I ever did for free mm -hmm. uh, through the drama log. I uh, got the audition, uh, and and we shot for about six or se six weeks, uh, mm -hmm. seven days a week, twenty hours a day, and and I'd sleep over at the house in Simi Valley, and, and we went through three different crews. They worked mm -hmm. us to death, but the actors kind of had to stay. And uh, I just literally—that was—that was crazy. What an and, introduction! Uh, you had a director. A lot of, lot of small budget films uh, when I mm -hmm. started out, just to get film on my. We didn't have digital cameras and things in those right. days, so so uh, I just had to do all these low budget films, uh, either the lead good guy or lead bad guy roles, and uh, get film on myself to try to get an agent. That's sure. kind of how I broke in, but. Uh, yeah. So, well, let's back up a little bit. Before all that, you were growing mm -hmm. up in Orinda, California. You've got three mm -hmm. brothers, is that right? Yeah, I've got three younger brothers. Okay, I'm I'm by far the best looking, uh, but <laughs> uh, but they uh, they don't agree. But you know, they're they're all you know delusional. So, growing up there, um, what was your childhood like? Did you guys have like a local movie theater you'd always go to? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, we, oh gosh, I saw the movies on the weekend. So we had the Orinda Theater. Orinda is just nice. east of Oakland, Berkeley on the mm -hmm. East Bay, Orinda and Moraga there. I was right on the Orinda Moraga line. And, uh, and it, it was, it was probably the most perfect place to grow up that you could imagine. Uh, we, we had about uh, uh, two square miles of homes. They were all young kids and families. Nobody locked their cars. There was no crime. Nobody locked their houses. We'd go out and play with in the streets with all the kids and all that stuff. And uh, and for me, I was uh, I, I was fairly athletic, mm -hmm. <laughs> starting out young. So all the sports, you know, uh, yeah. we play together, and uh, and it was big. Uh, the summer baseball leagues, Bronco Bronco Pony Colt, American Legion, and and just all the, it was just an idyllic uh, uh, growing up uh, uh, place, a place to grow up, you know, That's just, great. A, just an, and, and I hear it's still nice, but it's, uh, it was a little more of a mix of upper middle and, you know, lower middle class mm -hmm. uh, back when I grew up, but it was perfect, just perfect. What did your folks do? Well, my, well, it's a kind of a long story. My, my dad, uh, my dad was graduated second in his class from the Annapolis uh, in 45, but they let him out two years early to fight in World War II. He was a lieutenant commander on a destroyer, uh, got his law degree after World War II, negotiated the building of the Kennedy JFK Airport in New York with the wow. five airlines. So he was the chief head negotiator. Howard Hughes uh, really liked him so much after he did, did that liked his uh, skill and demeanor um he hired him and he and and dad went to work for as howard hughes's right-hand attorney and uh holy and, shit uh, and he was uh, after howard had the beverly hills crash uh -huh. where he broke 120 bones uh he wouldn't fly without uh, a test fly any new plane without my dad my dad was up in the right seat of the spruce goose uh, on its flight nobody really knows that but uh holy and that's how he shit. met so then he made a lot of money, a million plus, you know, millions. Uh, he worked for some heads, headed some corporations too. But then he came up to the Bay Area to open this huge uh, tennis facility, country club, Moraga. Basically, gave him almost all the land above St. Mary's College, and uh, 
he was 51 percent uh owner uh you know and, and wow. right as ground broke um he came down with uh terminal cancer oh and i was six so years sorry. old and uh, but you know what he he, he got the radiation the chemo the the cobalt therapy destroyed mm -hmm. his body, but then he found a German physicist who studied internal medicine in China and got him off all the land meat and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, got him off all the processed carbs and processed sugars and and had him do uh, seven glasses of uh, organic juice a day and detoxed him with the Chinese herbal teas and. Nine months later, he was alive and the cancer was gone. They they had given a month to live after the treatments and, and said basically. So he survived that, but he was so disabled through my whole life. It was kind of mm -hmm. like he, he would only be around six to nine months, maybe three months a year, four months a year, and then he'd be recovering at his mom's. And, and so mom, my mom, who also worked for Howard Hughes and was um, uh, trained people as on on the flight instructing. Uh, um, what do you call them? The, uh, the simulators. Uh, simulators. Thank you. Wow. And uh, and then she worked uh, headed human resources and hiring, and she was psychic. She would sit in the meetings, uh, and uh, he she would give the go ahead to him uh, on whether to hire somebody or not. She told him not to hire somebody before, and and that person stole from him. So, Wow. So, and that's how my mom and dad met. And she came up and she wanted to have kids, uh, got married at 27, had me at 28. And, and uh, she just loved raising the kids. But when my dad got cancer, the insurance to drop. Well, he didn't have the insurance. He let it drop. But he would have dropped us anyway shortly mm -hmm. after. And we went through all our money. And she, you know, worked 110 hour weeks to raise four boys and keep us in wow. a really great area. And uh, but uh, she she was an amazing woman as well. Uh, one of the people that didn't get married at you know right out of high school and mm -hmm. went to business school, worked for Howard Hughes for seven or eight years, and I was pregnant, you know, in bed when Dad was still working for him, and and Howard was calling at three in the morning, and she'd say, uh, you know, Howard, stop calling in the middle of the night. I'm pregnant. I need my sleep. <laughs> Hang up the phone, Bob. You know, and she, you know, she, she was a uh, all Italian, and and she spoke her mind. But uh, so, wow. so that that was a little background, and, and nobody really ever knows except my close friends and family members. But wow, that's but, uh, what an incredible story. Yeah, Dad wow. made it to about seventy years old. Good for him. He was, he was very disabled through the court. Yeah, but and but... Mom just passed away about six years ago. Okay. So but, they were, uh, but they were able to see you kind of yeah. come up. And well, get, dad and saw me it. start, but you know, he died right before uh, in 1992 okay. in January and I got cliffhanger in March. So right. I was, so he didn't really see me go off and, you know, make it, you know, uh, uh, uh he caught the beginning of it after yeah. I finished the, the graduate school, the master's acting program at UCLA, mm -hmm. uh, he saw that and then the low budget films and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But then it, it just took off. Mom got to see a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so oh, she was wow. very excited about it. Yeah. Wow. My dad didn't really understand it, you know, but I was into sports. But once sports ended at 25 years old, I, I, um, the only other thing that I really loved doing was uh, theater and acting and stuff. Yeah. So I went, uh, applied to UCLA in 83 to, for the graduate program in acting. Okay. And, and that's you, what I wanted to do for a career. My, my mom uh, always said, uh, 
if you can do what you love and find a way to make a living at it, uh, you're, you're lucky. Yeah, absolutely. She's right. She very, very supportive. So you, you went to UC Berkeley on a scholarship yeah. as a punter. Yeah. Um, that was 74 through 75? 74 through 77. I, 77, I, I okay. punted there 74 in the season and 75 season. I redshirted <clears throat> my 76 season. There's kind of a long story. I I was also drafted out of high school as a shortstop for the Oakland A's uh, in the 10th round. Wow. And uh, I, uh, I wanted to go to college and play baseball. I turned down baseball scholarship. UOP in San Jose State because of the coach at Cal promised me I could play baseball in the spring and mm -hmm. uh, and he, you know he offered me the football scholarship but I went there and then when the spring came he kind of said oh well, anybody who goes out for the spring sports when Steve Barkowski didn't go out for his junior year uh, uh, he was a first team All American baseball player as well and he was quarterback on the team then he said okay anybody who goes out for spring ball uh, loses their scholarship. So I was kind of mad at them. Well, but I could have left. I could have left and gone somewhere yeah. else, but I had a bird in the hand. So I, I didn't. And I really loved baseball a lot. I loved it uh, uh, more than football because football, just being a punter, mm -hmm. you know, it, you're not, yeah, you're, you're part of the team. You got to have a, a important job, but, but it's not like you're, you're not as active. Yeah. Not the same. Yeah. yeah. So, so I did 74 through 77 and then kind of had a little run in with the head coach and, and we disagreed in a few things. And he said, well, uh, Dick Tomey from UCLA defensive coordinator is taking over the university of Hawaii head coaching job. And, and I said, call him. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then I had my last two years there at the university of Hawaii, which was heaven. I gotta the, say being in your twenties and in Hawaii, that can't be I too got bad. to be the theater in Hawaii. I had a great teacher in the acting program, uh, uh, Terrence Knapp, who was an understudy for Lawrence Olivier for the Royal Shakespeare company for 15 years. And then, you know, yeah. things, Holy things, cow. things went great, uh, football wise. You know, we, we had a, a team, we played better than expected. We have a, a a lot of people came from the mainland, a lot of local people. So it was kind of crazy the first couple of years for, for Coach Tommy there to setting it up and getting us, mm -hmm. getting the teams going. But the fans and the public and the people of Hawaii just started. They were just incredible. It's like we were playing in Alabama or, you know, <laughs> or Georgia or something. And where the only thing they've got is the their college team. And, right. and it's Hawaii. I mean, it's like, I mean, the Aloha and, and the Ohana, the, the family spirit in Hawaii and the, uh, just the people were so, it was so beautiful back in the seventies. It wasn't yeah. as crowded. It, it was heaven. It was just heaven. Wow. Well, tell me a little about Terrence Knapp. What was he like? Oh, well, no, he was just an Irish guy, but he, yeah. he, British, you know, but he was Irish, you know, he was, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, he was just, uh, he just decided after uh, doing the, the 15 years of the Royal Shakespeare Company, and he was very close friends with Olivier mm -hmm. as his understudy yeah, yeah. and played the smaller roles in all the Shakespeare play. He just came out to teach uh, at Hawaii, wow. and, and he just it just happened to be an incredible thing. Uh, and uh, and uh, he, uh, not much to say, he just passed mm -hmm. away about eight eight years ago, maybe, maybe 10, something like that. Very wow. Sad. That's quite a pedigree to learn from, though. I mean, just uh, yeah. you said his name, and I kind of like 
Well, he's not, he's not, yeah, he's not really well known necessarily, but but I was a, I was was a theater major. So I kind of nerd out over this stuff. He he won, (laughs) he won an award, one of the awards, he played Father Damien, uh, who was Mm -hmm. the leper colony. Yeah. And and he won some sort of, I don't know if it was an Academy Award or something for a small independent, you know, like a documentary Mm -hmm. film. And, uh, but uh, he, he was amazing. Wow. I had a really great teacher, Delia Salvi, in my first year of graduate school. So yes. w- before you got to grad school, you went pro. So you uh, well, you tried yeah. to you tried to go with the Packers. It's uh, a long story. Yeah, I yeah. I I got I didn't. They called me during the draft, and they had been scouting me for two years, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize they had me number one in their draft board of the college punters coming out that year in '89. And uh, Lee Steinberg, I signed with like an idiot. And uh, he said, oh, you don't want to go there. They got 10 rookie punters there going in. I'll get you somewhere else. I didn't realize he had a couple of players that were already going to camp. And the other teams out in Hawaii, we didn't have TV coverage Mm -hmm. out there. So Green Bay, through word of mouth, uh, Zeke Bretkowski was watching me. And Bart Starr called me on the phone and during the draft and that you're going to sign with us, cool. right? And and then uh, my agent, you know, Steinberg told me, you know, we'll get you somewhere else. And he didn't. And I didn't go to camp with mm. them. And I sat out a whole year like an idiot. And it turns out, Coach Tomey said later, he said, Greg, you were the, the, well, this is what he said. I'm not saying it, but he said you were the best punter in the country. You're kicking out of bounds uh, inside the 10-yard line, hang time. We led the nation in net punting. I kicked the ball high. You know, and um, and he said they had me number one on their draft board, and and they were really upset that I didn't come. And the next year, I I uh, so I kind of screwed the pooch, and I couldn't call them back because they were probably angry at me. So the sure. next year, I signed with the San Diego Chargers. I went to camp, and just a week before camp, I I was sprinting on the field right next to the stadium, and I hit a gopher hole, and I just tore my thigh oh. muscle from hip to knee, and I tried to hide it. Couldn't even my lifting my leg, the right leg, with agonizing pain, and oh. and uh, I tried to hide it. But they, I was a week or two into camp, and they saw that I was injured, and because you know they hadn't scouted me like the Packers did, they just released me. Yeah, you know, so that that was uh, it was short, and and I just kind of after two, I was twenty five, moving on twenty six, and I was still a a rookie, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I could have healed and tried again another year, like my f- friend from Cal, Jim Breach, who was the place kicker there at Cal, and uh, he, he got cut from four teams before he got picked up by the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, and he had a nice 16-year career as their place kicker mm-hmm. was in the Super Bowl in 1980, uh, there against yeah. the 49ers, Bengals. But I just, you know, I just, I moved on. You know, and, yeah. and at the time we were only make 30. Well, maybe it was a lot then, but it didn't seem like it was 30,000 a year, the minimum scale. Right. And, and uh, I just <clears> figured, <throat> you know, I, I'm just going to move on. If it were, I, sh- I should have kept playing baseball. But I wouldn't have quit, but then I ended up quitting baseball in college. So it, yeah, it's just, you know, I wanted that college degree. Right. Right. So, was that, yeah. was that, why was the college degree important to you? Well, I, I always was important. My, my dad, my mom, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in those days, having a college degree, especially from Cal Berkeley, yeah, uh, yeah. it was a big deal, you know, mm-hmm. going to a school like that and finishing. And, and, and uh, 
that that was a and, and playing college, you know, when I, I figured I'd improve my draft position from the tenth round for baseball, you mm-hmm. know, but I could have gone and you know, Campy Caminaris was only his last two or three years. I'd be in the farm system and all that, but I figured, you know, I'll play in college, improve my position, and uh, but I ended up uh, giving it up, and because uh, uh, the punting was working out, it was giving me the scholarship, and yeah. But I was kind of angry later that I should have been able to be allowed to play baseball without having to leave school and go to right. another college. And and so I do have a little little resentment for that, but I've let sure. it go, you know. But, yeah. Uh, it, it was a lousy thing for Mike. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. Well, uh, so you shook that off and then you go to UCLA to get an MFA in acting. Yeah. And, and from there... What was your trajectory? You did. I know you were doing some live theater. Well, I did uh, as an undergrad. I was because the Cal was three years. Hawaii was two years. Mm-hmm. And then I I had gotten the degree actually enough from Hawaii to Hawaii. But I went back and they said at Cal, hey, you know, you were here three full years. You've taken every class that's in the drama department. Just take a couple breath requirement we'll give you the degree from Cal. So I did go back to Cal, finish my degree there instead of taking the degree from Hawaii, which I love being a rainbow warrior. I, but mm-hmm. uh, the degree from Cal, I, and that uh, then I auditioned for the UCLA program and, and then finished it. And after that, I, I got into, uh, I left early two weeks before graduation. I got uh, a, a job for my first professional job. So that was like six years of theater and then another two years in grad. So I did eight years of theater just in college. I was doing main stage plays, small theater plays, and you're doing all the scenes and monologues all through. So I had a lot of experience in theater Mm -hmm. and then community theater and stuff like that. So uh, PCPA, Pacific Pacific Conservatory of Performing Arts, it's up there in Santa Maria and Solvang, the college in Santa Maria. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have two theaters, and and I did a summer where we did uh, Amadeus and Hamlet. Is that, you played Solieri? Well, I understudied Solieri. I understudied Solieri. And they had a guy named Bob Elliott who played Solieri, and then David Burney was Hamlet. uh, Oh, okay. Hamlet. And And uh, you were, I, I, Got some of your credits here for that. So, like with Hamlet, you were, you were three just roles. A, yeah, just played some Thought small roles. Golden State Francisco. Francisco. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But then I understudied Hamlet. Uh, I could memorize very fast, uh, so I memorized mm-hmm. Hamlet in, uh, Friday, and I had it cold for the rehearsal on Monday. Wow. I, and they said, "Can you understudy Claudius too?" And I said, "Sure." Yeah. And then Laertes, and sure. And then <laughs> Salieri is like two and a half times the role of Hamlet. A lot Absolutely. of dialogue in, in Amadeus, and I understudied that as well. So it's just, wow. uh, you know, just that kind of stuff. And then I realized that's when I realized that there were so many musicals that summer. And then I saw on all the community theaters and and the professional theaters, Denver Theater Center, uh, mm-hmm. Albuquerque, New Mexico. There were theaters all over the country, and maybe 75% of the plays that they put on in the uh, regional theaters were musicals. And I realized then that if I wanted to make a living at acting, although I'd said, you know, I'd do it for $400 a week for the rest of my life in, in, you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico or whatever, Mm because I love theater. I just want to be act, make a living. That's Mm -hmm. all. All my goal was to make a living at acting. And, but I did realize that the competition, I could sing, but I didn't have one of those great singing voices. So, you know, uh, all of them would get 
uh, a lot of the roles before me in yeah. the musicals to do theater year round and even Broadway, a lot of musicals, mm -hmm. uh, some straight plays, you know, uh, dramas or comedies, but yeah. not the singing stuff. So I realized then that it was Ty had to go back to LA and, and, uh, and, and, um, and the only way to do it at the time was just, uh, they had these little things that advertised for low budget films that weren't in the beginning, weren't even union. And, right. Uh, and uh, cause <laughs> you had to do a union film to get in the union in those days. You couldn't get an extra. That extra famous part. SAG Catch-22. Yeah. So <laughs> I just started doing films, uh, you know, the low budget films. And uh, I would just kind of get everything I auditioned for in the early, that two, two and a half year period. I think I did 10 or 12 you know, the low budget films, mm -hmm. uh, you named a bunch of them and there are a few, there's some more too, like oh, yeah. city and cartel and, Oh, uh, no, that was union, but, uh, 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 um, gosh, deadly addiction. There were, there mm -hmm. was a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. You mentioned the act, um, the, the gosh, well, you, you mentioned them. I'm, I'm, I, I honestly, I've done so many, you forget. I'm sure. I'm uh, sure. Well, oh, I the Dead first year Dead End City. Dead End City, one yeah. That one came right after Hack a Lantern. Right. Um, so we, right. we touched on Hack a Lantern, but I, I honestly I could talk about this movie for two hours. <laughs> uh, I won't I won't make you do it, but we gotta talk a little about it. So Oh sure. Whatever um, I can it, remember, I'll, it, I'll be uh, happy to tell you. <laughs> It's one of those that was kind of the perfect storm, kind of like another great cult film, mm -hmm. Troll 2, where you have this very well-meaning director coming in who speaks zero English, mm -hmm. uh, working with <laughs> working with people who only speak English. Uh, and Jack as you Mundra said, and Raj Mahotra. I still yeah. remember those names. <laughs> I forget. I think Jag was the director and I think Raj so, yeah. was the producer. Yeah, so. I think that's what it was. Um I, well, first off, I got to ask about High mm -hmm. Pike. I mean, as far as character actors go, High Pike in the cult world, I mean, he was the mayor from Dolomite. He was in so many trashy, wonderful films. He, what he was, what kind of person was he? Well, I got to tell you, he was one strange person. <laughs> I mean, awesome. he wasn't, you know, I mean, because I think, Honestly, I think in real life, he actually might have been into the devil worshiping or sure. maybe he was just taking those horror films so far into, you know, where he was kind of playing the character all the time in real life. But he was I'm sorry, I have to I have to correct you because yeah. they didn't do this. Was they, it, was, did, they did they yeah, did I love right. you that's in right. sign language. <laughs> yeah, and it was just but he was doing it in real life too. So I was going, Yeah, what in the world is this guy? Yeah, he wow. Was, and it was freaky, you know. There, we were having a lot of strange things, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know, the devil worshiping stuff. It was weird on set, you know, weird yeah. stuff was happening. I mean, it was just, I mean, we, we were kind of, kind of freaked out, kind of like doing the, uh, the, uh, 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 the play, uh, the Shakespeare play. I'm not allowed to mention. Oh yeah. That, you know, the play but, that uh, shall not be named. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of like, you know, when you're doing something mm -hmm. that's kind of dark and sinister and kind of had a lot of devil worshiping stuff in it. Yeah, you know they had the jar with some sort of fetus and all that. Oh man, I don't know if it was real or not, but stuff was happening on the set. It was yeah. kind of crazy. But wow. yeah, so he was uh, 
I, I didn't get to know him real. I worked with him all through, you know, I, must yeah, think yeah. Was in, I think it was in every scene, but about six or seven, I don't know what, but, but he was a, he was a, he was a strange cookie. And you know what? He was really kind of like the way he was in the film. Yeah. You know, he was just uh very strange. <laughs> Back I can't say it any more than that. He was just, he's not one of those people that jumped out of character and was just kind of a regular guy. He was, right. He was a strange cookie. Wow. So you're on a movie like that. First off, it's your first film. I'm sure there's yeah. excitement there. But then, as you said, as it goes on and suddenly yeah. the, the crew's dropping out because they're like, this is fucking nuts. a lot of work. Camera and, setups took a long time. And yeah. a lot of the people were also in the crew in the beginning. So mm -hmm. things would go wrong a lot and it would just take forever to shoot scenes and yeah. longer. And then and then the tide, you hit a point where you know people just don't realize that that you got a certain amount of work hours and then once you go over and over you people forget lines people make mistakes camera mm -hmm. make mistakes uh people make it just it, you're spinning your wheels you're so yeah. exhausted and then they kept pushing us and pushing us and it just got slower and slower because uh it, it, it's not worth it. You kind of learn, you try to save a, a penny, but you spend a dime because, yeah. uh, because you're, you're not functioning well when you yeah. lose that much sleep. And uh, so, um, in how fact, did, uh, go oh, go, go, I was going to ask, how, how did Jag direct you as he didn't speak English? How was he communicating? Uh, uh, he basically would listen to us and we'd say that, that was okay. Well, that was good. That was okay. That, that was, uh, we didn't, I purposely, if I didn't like a take or it wasn't going well, I'd go up on lines on purpose. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can't use that. We can't use that one. <laughs> and um, but he, I, he had an interpreter there, you know. Mm -hmm. But but still, though, he he was just kind of a visual director, and and he, a lot of feedback from us and whether you know the scene went well for us in terms of our dialogue and and all wow. that. And he just directed. It's kind of like if you were to go and direct something uh, like, say, somebody in the Middle East and they're speaking uh, Farsi or mm -hmm. language and you got to kind of like you go, how'd that go for you? You know, that, that go, OK, you know, because I don't understand what you said, but it looked good to me. But, <laughs> you know, let me know if you, you know, you you were connected throughout the scene and everything clicked and everything went well. And, and then they say, yeah, that was good. You go, OK, you know. You know, and wow. uh, but yeah, that's uh, it, but it was strange. It was strange. <laughs> well, I, I, you didn't let me down with High Pike. He kind of saw. He always seemed like the type of person that probably was whatever he was doing on screen yeah. was just himself. Uh, he was he was living the characters that he was playing in the films in real life. It's, <laughs> uh, he was like that all the time. Very strange. Well, then I didn't honestly want to be around that much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little strange yeah well you, yeah. you do that and then dead end city comes along and it's another one that is just um again, fun. as yeah. a cult movie podcast it, you are an ideal guest not only for the movies you've done and the mm. tv shows but the people you've worked with that had robert zadar i didn't bring him up in the intro because i had to was... wait and talk about yeah. him now yeah that was the film where you know that when I auditioned for that, I, I kind of, that's the film where I figured, I realized that when you audition for theater, you do a one piece that's a drama, one piece is a, com mm -hmm. a comedy. You can Same change your looks bars. on stage <laughs> and they know you can play any role written. 
But in TV and film, I, I realized, well, they, the casting directors and people, they, they need to see you in the character. You know, if you've got a mustache and they want somebody clean shaven, they can't imagine you. Even if you show a picture clean shaven, they want to see you right. in the character so they feel nice and secure when they hire you. Very few directors and people are, are willing to cast people knowing they can change their looks up. And I'm a right. very chameleon-like person. So I auditioned for that uh, film, and I didn't know I, I had played the bad guy. But So I auditioned for the bad guy role in that. There was a lead bad guy and a lead good guy. And I, I slicked back my long hair. I grew about six-day beard growth. You know, I, I kind of lowered my voice and uh, moved into, you know, just more of an intense uh, lower-key character. You know, just, you know, I just kind of played and slowed my movements down physically. And, you know, I was being mm -hmm. honest, but I just played a character that was a little more dangerous. Yeah. A little more dangerous part of myself. And it changed my voice. It changed the way I looked. I slicked the hair back, had the beard broke. And then uh, I went away for three days, got some sun, blew dry my hair, shaved, and then kind of went in to read for the lead good guy. And, um, you know, they, they said, well, you know, we, and so I went to read for the lead good guy. And it was more kind of a you know, Harrison Ford, uh, kind of young Harrison Ford, gregarious, maybe a young Mel Gibson kind of character, a young Clint Eastwood, whatever, just a little more gregarious, a little more, well, not Clint Eastwood, but a little more extroverted, a yeah. little cocky, gregarious, a little funny, uh, tough, you know, but, but likable. Yeah. And I looked totally different and my voice was different. And um, and they mix the slates up. They you know where they say your name yep. before you audition. And so I got two phone calls from casting for that film. And the first phone call I got was, "Hey, we want you to play the lead bad guy in the show." And then uh, just an hour later, I go, well, "Okay, great." And then I got a call later. They wanted me to play the lead good guy in the film and they didn't know it was the same person. <laughs> and, but that was kind of, that's actually flattering for an sure. actor to be able to change things up, your voice, you look different, you know, the whole thing. And they think you're two different people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then they said, Oh, I said, well, you called me just a little bit ago to play the lead bag. I, they go, what? And I said, yeah, this is great Cummins. I, I auditioned for both the characters. <laughs> They said, well, okay, which one do you want to play? And then I thought about it and I said, well, you know, I, I thought I chose to do the good guy in this one because I was doing the bad guy in another one called Deadly Addiction. We were shooting everything. Mm -hmm. I was playing a scumball bad guy slip back here with the, you know, beard growth and all that. So I wanted to play a nice guy. I get some film on that. And so yep. Bob got the lead bad guy role. Right. Was, and we shot it out in a big closed down warehouse. I don't know what probably had asbestos. It would have asbestos all <laughs> over the place. Big four-story, five-story warehouse with walkways and catwalks. And we were out there shooting guns and rifles and shotguns and, and you know, all the stuff and, and chase scenes and fight scenes. And God knows everything was rusted and the air was terrible. But we shot the whole film out there in the, in Fontana, which is halfway between LA and San Bernardino. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
and uh, and it, it was you know a lot of work and and the dialogue we kind of get the ten or fifteen twelve or fifteen pages in the morning that we were going to shoot that day and just kind of cram on it while they're setting up the camera <laughs> and and you just do the best you can and when you're yeah. playing the lead roles it's kind of taxing to get the dialogue at the last minute a lot of dialogue it's kind of like doing soap operas but mm -hmm. but you want to but then you add the action scenes and the physical and that's the thing I play good guys or bad guys these were all action films 80s right. action films a little little nudity little action make a video sell it abroad you know bullets boobs these, and bombs these that's films were made that film was made for like 30 20 thousand dollars but they mm -hmm. made money action films international they made 20 films a year spending anywhere from 20 to 30 thousand a, a thing and and again mm -hmm. that was uh, uh non-union i hadn't gotten union yet so uh, they were able to spend very small amounts of money on all of us yeah and yeah. uh crew as well and uh and then uh and so we would get experience but uh it was a hard job but that was a fun film gosh a lot it's of a lot of fun it's a lot, a lot of action of and i i they didn't have money to hire stunt people and i was athletic so Mm -hmm. You know, I, I learned how to do all <laughs> my stunts through all of these films. I, I did every, I drove cars through, you know, fire bombs with fire coming in. They say, hold your breath, yeah. just don't breathe in. And, you know, semi high falls and, you know, all the action and shooting and fight scenes. Yeah. And it was just a lot of stuff, you know, but uh, that was a, I was actually, you know, that, that film was a little hokey. It was an eighties low budget action picture, but, I, I go, mean, you know, that's it. It was better than Hack Lantern. I didn't put Hack Lantern on my resume all through the years. <laughs> I, I didn't even want a film called Hack Lantern on my resume. So, but, I, I uh, gotta say, for for me, your first three films, Hack Lantern, Dead End City, Action USA, for for somebody like me who's running a cult movie podcast, I, I can't think of three yeah, better USA, films to start was, out. That was better. I mean, it's still a Action USA action is film, fucking. But, nuts but it really was that that was a whole deal that was all with a higher group of and i actually did a film called deadly addiction while mm -hmm. i was doing dead end city so that uh but uh, action usa was my fourth film i think and uh but that was good i mean they they were paying uh better and and uh and they had all these great stuntmen and john stewart john stewart the director he was yeah. fantastic and He'd been this wild stuntman for years, and he did a lot of stunts in the film too. I mean, but yeah, he blew his knee out with a motorcycle stunt mm -hmm. before, so that's when he went into directing. And yeah, he, he drew money in to produce the film, and and uh, uh, you know William Smith and, and Ross Hagen. William and, Smith, I mean, he was. I got a loud. chance to work with him. I was so excited. I mean, I watched him in a Hawaii Five O. I watched yeah. he played. He was probably the best bad guy in the business. Absolutely. I, I did three or four films with him. He was a great, great guy. That great guy. You doing a great guy? you got? Yeah, he. I can't remember his lines, but uh, yeah. Macho, but he was really like I mean, you're like he used to do underground. Fun. Yeah, yeah. He, he they actually. I think that's why East Eastwood hired him for any which way you can because he'd actually been an underground. Oh yeah, fighter, no, yeah, he, and yeah, that's he, what he, he wanted. Was the real deal. Yeah, he was a tough guy. Yeah, uh, I mean, just formidable. Yeah. But uh, John Stewart was fantastic on, on that film as a director. Mm -hmm. Coordinated. Basically, it's kind of funny when I think of it. They. They had all these stunts that he had all the stunt people and Waco, we shot it all there. They, 
they gave us the police for free. There were no permits. They sectioned off streets. We did high falls out of building, off of bridges, explosions. They gave us houses. High falls. They, they gave us like a hundred cars to crash for free. Wow. And they gave, you know, junkyards were just to have us there near Baylor and in Waco. Right. And 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 they gave us a house to blow up. And they said, how can we write this in the script? And so they basically wrote a script around all around the, the stunts so the, yeah it wasn't the script first and then the act it was like and so it was kind of funny because all the acting stuff uh and uh was uh was you know they usually call the actors first unit and then the second unit you go out with the stunt you know mm -hmm. crew and you shoot the stunts but we called the stunts the first unit and the actors was, <laughs> as a joke because but uh but it, it was great that uh, barry murphy and uh mm -hmm. uh Oh, I, I'm just having uh, uh, William. Uh, well, you got you've got Cameron Mitchell, Ross Hagen, Hoke Howell. Yeah. I mean, three three of probably the most iconic cowboy character actors of that yeah. era. Yeah. Um, and Cameron Mitchell was he was and Ross Hagen both they were popping up in all these kinds of movies. Uh, yeah, he he was a fun. It, <laughs> it was really, that was the first film where I was actually working with people that were kind of known. William yeah. Hubbard Knight uh, is. I did a thing with him later, but that was so much fun working. And we were kind of doing a, you know, a lethal weapon, you know, kind of. I was going to ask about that. You guys, yeah, yeah. Were, Where I was were... playing a character that was a little gregarious and a little, yeah, you know, yeah. tough and, you know, and, and then he was. And but we had this banter back and forth, like, you know, uh, Danny Glover and uh, Mel Gibson. You, you know, know it, it, just it, kind re of a... it reminded me almost of. of uh, Almost Abbott and Costello, very vaudeville. Well, yeah, Your yeah, banter was but more I, but I still of that. Played than everything then. honestly, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just. But we, we had stuff like real people in real life where you just banter yeah. with them, kind of like what my partner and I are doing. Crate and Barrel are doing on Bosch. It's, on Bosch, yeah. You know, we we yeah. don't play it to be funny, but right. we get funny stuff that happen, and it's just real life stuff. People can be funny with each other. And that's just part of life, you know, yeah. and then they can be serious sometimes and then they can banter back and forth other times and tease each other. Mm -hmm. That's what I did with William and William. William's a, a pastor now retired, but he's a pastor for oh, years. Wow. Uh, I, I had so much fun working with William. Uh, it shows and, on the screen. I actually it really I, does. And I just Murphy watched it before wonderful. this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, ju wow. I just watched it. Like literally I'd stopped it 10 minutes before I came in or started. It's kind so. of a cross between uh, uh lethal weapon and mm -hmm. Dukes of hazard. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, yeah. you know, and a zany, crazy stunts, crazy goofy. But John Stewart was amazing yeah, as a director and, and uh, he, nothing got to him. You know, yeah. we had, it was kind of like, we didn't have time. We were really shooting fast. And mm -hmm. and they spent all this time setting these stunts up. And I go, John, you just spent an hour setting the camera up. Let's do a second take. We got to do a second take. You know, I'm going to drop that, a guy that, off a helicopter, Greg. Come so on. Good. He goes, well, Greg, we don't have time. We don't, we got to move. And I, so then I realized, okay, all right. If, if I'm not really connected in the take and for some reason I'm searching for a line or somebody kind of blows a line, but we kind of get through it. It does that, you know, then, then he's just going to say, that's it. We're moving on. And you can't, you know, and so I, I learned to kind of, if, if something screwed up in the scene and it didn't, it wasn't clicking, uh, I'd blow a line on purpose just mm -hmm. so we have to shoot, uh, you know, another take because <laughs> if we just didn't have time, he just, we just do one take of every scene that was in that movie. You turn around, you do their version, 
do a two shot or you do, you know, over the shoulder and then over the shoulder to me and over the shoulder to somebody else. And it was just one take per setup and as many, and they would make it as little setups as they could. So we try wow. to get a lot of two and three shots, but, uh, and, and again, one take mm -hmm. moving on, but we, we shot the whole thing in about two and a half weeks. Wow. So it's pretty, you know, but, but that's kind of, but Waco was so great with us. There was a company, a production company there that kind of, and they, they just, uh, it's, it's kind of, I mean, they made it so easy. They gave us yeah. so much stuff. And I, I was the first film I actually was proud of being in. It, it, you know, it was it's, an 80s film when you look absolutely. back on it. And it was, it was a lot of tongue-in-cheek fun stuff, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of humor in the midst of all the action. It's, it's a it's a romp. It's not yeah. meant to be taken too serious. You know, it's yeah. uh vinegar syndrome did a blu-ray release in 2020 on it and it's yeah. gorgeous it looks absolutely gorgeous um it's one i remember watching like when i was in college on like usa up or not or one of those yeah. you know and yeah. uh so as soon as it came out on blu-ray of course i had to get it um, just some like, very great just like hackle, you know hack lanterns on blu-ray too yeah um, i know i've got yeah. that one they have some great stunt people in that too. I remember Bob Brown. It's some incredible. of the early stunts that he was, he became the most well-known high faller yeah. in the business. Uh, I mean the I mean, fall, the helicopter fall, and then I tried yeah. to count. I today was the first time I tried to count mm -hmm. the number of stories he fell out of that yeah. building. Yeah, it was. Uh, we, it's he insane. was up about, and then he did the one backwards. Uh, the one out, out the of the window. building, out the window. That's the one. That was insane. That that was like four, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I was trying 14. to count them. <laughs> yeah, because I'm it, like, it, how high it was up all, is he? And there was a little breeze, oh and they god. had to wait until the breeze settled down. And I'm going, oh my god, because they said, you know, just a little breeze, even a ten mile an hour breeze, could move him over like thirty feet and miss the the pad, the, the, yeah. the, the big blown up pad that he was uh you know falling into scary i you yeah. know I, I i couldn't watch most of the stunts i'd have to just go oh my god no, i imagine that there's that a great crazy. scene the the body burn where he's firing the gun i love movies that are directed by stuntmen because you can count on the it stunts was incredible. being insane yeah. and especially yeah. an 80s film well, and um, you so know, many explosions. I gotta admit, it was a lot of hard work, but we had so much fun working on that film. There's so many people that did that film that are not just actors but crew members, mm -hmm. who ended up, you know, moving up into the you know A grade stuff and and having yeah. a long career, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, Jeff Schiffman's a uh, first AD, and he's done so many films through the year, and he was uh, working as an AD, first AD on that film. A lot, a lot of people. Wow. Before we get too far away from Dead End City, I wanted to go back mm -hmm. to Robert Zadar. He's such a legend, yeah. a, a terrible loss to the world, honestly. He was yeah. such a great person and a great actor, so yeah. much fun to watch on screen. How did, how did you like working with him? What was he like to work oh, with? Oh, he's a great guy. We just goofed around. You know, he, and and he, he was such a, had a, such a badass. I mean, he had a, just a face for a bad guy. Yeah. I mean, it was just in, a face like two times the size of anybody's normal face. Yeah, he had acromegalia, so it. Yeah. That. Um, yeah. The Rondo Hatton and and other character actors they kind of get chosen for those roles because of that. Um, yeah. It's good yeah, to hear but, you get a good experience. Yeah. Oh, he was a wonderful guy. We we just goofed around and and in the breaks and you know we we spent so much time together and uh, there and hanging around and just a great guy, just a great guy in every way. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah.
So when you're going into these roles, especially early on, you've come out of mm-hmm. acting school. Um, I remember coming out of of getting my theater degree and coming out, getting out into the world and jumping into yeah. shows. Um, you, Of course, when you're younger, you're taking it deadly seriously and you've got your whatever method yeah. you're going with. What was, did you do outside in? Were you, you talked about like getting ready for an audition where you're slicking your hair back and growing your beard out. Did you, did you need? Well, I, I learned both. I learned from Terrence Knapp, the outside mm-hmm. in, you know, sometimes clothes you put on, boots, it can change your whole thing. I, I played gay queens where mm-hmm. I, it was like doing Man of Mode, a restoration, French restoration comedy where the men walked yeah. around very effeminate with the plumes and the heels and and I just use, or you find your female self or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as far as, you know, you know, starting out, the biggest thing, you know, I, I played a lot of characters in theater, but uh, I, I didn't know the medium of the film. I, I, so I learned a lot. I had the opportunity to do these small budget films and then slowly increase and get better and better. Because I, I I learned, you know, on stage, you, know, you do a stage whisper, but somebody's got to hear it, you know, 500 right. seats back. So it's, hello, hello, mm-hmm. you're whispering. But I had to learn, you know, that you can just really just whisper. Yeah. You don't, you're not playing to anybody else. Just 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 you and the other person you're acting with. So I, I had to learn, you know, to, that I can be so honest. Or, or I can be as loud as I want, or I can be as low as I want, but it's just it's just you and the other actors, and it's up to the camera. I remember in the small budget films, they wouldn't mic us, and they say, can you just say it louder? We can't hear you. And I go, no, I can't say it louder. You have to come in and get my voice. Otherwise, I'm performing for the, the sound, and, and the camera is very intimate. You yeah. can be as small as you need to be, just even a thought you change the thought of your mind it comes across on a camera yep. so i had to learn all that in the you know the, the the these early films that i i could be very subtle mm-hmm. and it would come across sometimes just changing my thought it changes my face without me even knowing it and and it and it registers with the audience whereas yeah. on stage you had to you know, you had to you had to make some sort of larger reaction for the audience to pick up on it uh, or totally deadpan, which mm-hmm. works also. But but yeah, so it, it, it gave me an opportunity to understand how to act in the new medium. And but I still use sometimes a physical uh, sometimes if I can't find the character from the inside completely, um, I'll use external things like what I was saying before. Um you know, I can be, you know, I can go to a dark side and, and I could think, okay, you know, I used to think, well, how do you, you don't act bad, but let's say I justified myself. So I'd say, okay, I'm playing a bad guy. Um, if this person's a woman or a guy or whatever, but I, I want to do something to them that's maybe bad. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I imagine maybe he kidnapped my mom and tortured her and cut her fingers and toes off and then all of a sudden i may be a nice guy in real life but you play tricks on your mind like that yeah and all of a sudden i'm acting with somebody and then whatever i do with that person i mean i might torture Mm -hmm. and enjoy it but i got a reason 
why I'm enjoying right. getting what he did to my or my mom. And and you put that in your mind. It's amazing how dark and sinister you can become because we have everything inside of ourselves to play any role. It's just, but I had years of exploring to, to find those things and then yeah. you use them. So when I walked in and I played low key, I'm not just thinking, you know, I'm just going to talk lower. Mm -hmm. I'm going to change my movements or whatever. I'm I'm thinking uh, 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 I'm I'm using effective memory. I'm using the method in that where I'm I'm creating I'm I, I'm uh, substituting maybe someone else from the past or mm -hmm. situation from the past where I'm and then I or I implant and uh, imagine somebody having done something to me that's not in the script, but it helps me do what I need to do and what I want to get. Yeah, be the kind of character I want, and and that's helped me with a lot of bad guys. I used to imagine them, you know, doing horrible things to loved ones, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it's amazing. <laughs> and if you want somebody, yeah, there's a guy who's bad to say, yeah, okay, you punched my brother, all right, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, whatever you threaten him, whatever. But if somebody like that you love, you know, and you play in your mind, that's just like, you know. It, Urge you, you know, <laughs> and I'm gonna enjoy it. fucker, you know, and it's honest and it's real. Yeah. I'm not, and and then you know, you want to play another character, you let another part of yourself out, you know, and you hide the other parts that you know. So that's what acting is: is just using parts of our personality, but but also th those classes get us to explore. My teachers in graduate school would never let me play the macho, tough, gregarious leading man. They always made me play characters that were totally different the way I was in real. And that helped me. Yeah. Know? And then you dealing with accents too. And that just comes along. You realize you learn and you learn little systems to get accents there. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, so I use. I use a little something from every teacher. There's no one way to act. Yep. There's no one method. To, uh, you know, you've got Meister, you've got Stanislavski, you've got uh, Strasberg, you've got, you know, all the mm -hmm. Uda Hagen, you've got all these people, but uh, you've got uh, Laurence Olivier was a Shakespeare. So, you know, it's just, uh, just, you know, uh, use your imagination. You know, don't you don't have to feel it, create something from your past, work on your environment, all this stuff. Just just pretend, you know, and yeah. and they use the physical. They went external in. And it was the vocal, you know, with Shakespeare. You don't uh, my teacher used to say, I'd say, well, what's his what's the mo what's the uh, objective for this scene? What's the motivation? He goes, forget all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just say the lines over and over and the character will come to you the poetry of the language the the prose the verse you mm -hmm. know it, it, it's it, it'll just come you know and when you have little pauses you know you can do that with the the monologues you know you want to get them through but you find the the rhythms and the levels and the musicality of the thing and then you learn what the words mean because you don't 
but then, you know, all the short little staccato lines, that all has to be picked up. Boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom, 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 boom. And then it's like, oh, okay, now we're at a monologue. So it's all slowing down a little bit. And, and you know, but just, but all that training, I use, I use everything. I, if it works. And so sometimes if I can't get it one way, I'll, I'll go to another thing. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, and having the, had the opportunity to do a lot of things in theater over the years, it allowed me to play a lot of characters and do a lot of things. That, and then everything you learn that's new, you can use it again. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, so yeah, there's no one, I, I was trained in the method. I, I did the Shakespeare and I was external uh, first to, uh, finding the character through either the language or externally or uh, 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 then other people just very strong on the objectives, you know, the super objective, the immediate objective, the action for the moment, you know, in, 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 you know, I want to seduce someone, but what am I going to do? So that's the action. I'm going to, I'm going to make them laugh. I'm, you know, I'm going to, so that's the action. I'm going to say it, make them laugh, but my, this maybe they're into bed with me or something, you know. So, right, and that's all part of the modern training. That's Stanislavski. Uh, mm-hmm. The only thing a little further with the method, and it gets a bad rap, but uh, you know, but uh, it's wonderful training. No, because because there's no performing with the method. It's um, I, I the really it took me about four months in that first year class in graduate school in LA, and I. And I, I still was occasionally eh, performing, you know, mm-hmm. I occasionally on, you know, honest, honest, but then an occasional, and she, she caught it. She caught, she was so sharp, Delia Salvi. And, and there was one scene, it was an intimate scene. He said, I just want you to sit in the room. And we had like 15 people in our graduate class. I want you to ignore us. Just go sit in the room, turn your back to us. And just do the scene to her sitting in the chair. Look away from us and just look at her. I don't care if we even hear you. Just do it with her. And and then I did it. And I went. And then she afterwards it clicked. And I went, it's like it was hit by a lightning from God, you know. You know, I went, oh, and she goes, You see it now. That's what I'm film the camera will come and get the sound they'll get that just it's just you and the other people in the scene just like real life and they'll pick it up now if you use method on stage yeah you do have to think about projecting your voice but but if you've mastered it Mm -hmm. and then everything from you do from then on is honest then then you you can be a little more aware of but I never had anybody push me for that ultimate honesty. You know, I used to yeah. get away with a lot of stuff. And I was very successful at it in theater in the early years, performing, you know, and all that. Mm-hmm. But wasn't always completely honest. So that that graduate program really, I think, is what gave me a career. That was Greg Scott Cummings, part one. What a fascinating man, and I know I use that word a lot, but come on. That whole Howard Hughes thing, I had no idea. His career is so much fun to look at. So many great, wonderful, trashy movies, so many great, good movies, so many great, good TV shows, so many great, trashy TV shows. Uh, Just a great character actor and a very good person. I've really enjoyed talking to him. Part two gets into even more fun stuff. 
think you'll enjoy it. Get back out in the world, you guys. Go do stuff. Have fun, but take care of your servers because at the Walter Paisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. See you next time.